0: Content warning. Religious censorship, disease, including the coronavirus, raunchy sexcapades, and, uh, urination. Action! Excitement! Horror romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying canoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these?
1: noble and illustrious drinkers, and you thrice-precious pockified blades. Good friends, my readers, who peruse this book, be not offended, whilst on it you look. Denude yourself of all depraved affection, for it contains no badness nor infection. Tis true that it brings forth to you no birth of any value, but point of mirth. Thinking, therefore, how sorrow might your mind consume, I could no after subject find, One inch of joy surmounts of grief a span, because to laugh is proper to the man. Welcome to What Mad Universe, a podcast about pulp and the origins of science fiction and fantasy. I'm Philip Rice, and with me as always is Adam Prosser. Hello. Uh, Today we're discussing the oldest work featured on this show, uh, Gargantuan Pentagorelle, the 16th century French series of five novels by Francois Rabelais. I know we say this a lot, but... uh, This one's a weird one. Uh, The story, such that it is, follows the adventures of two giants who rule over the country of Utopia. Yes, that's Utopia from Thomas More's book, published just a few decades before. Uh, A note, we read the English translation by Sir Thomas Urquhart, later finished by Peter Anthony Motia from the late 17th century. Uh, There's controversy about this version as the language isn't an exact match, and contains many additional flourishes um, that sort of draw upon Rabelais' style. Uh, but uh, this is the public domain version, so it's what we read.
0: So yeah, Phil. Uh, before we go any further, I just I did want to ask about that. What? How is it? When it says finished by Peter Anthony Motier, what is? Oh,
1: uh, he only did uh, I think the first two or three books. I see. Okay. And but and th- then another person finished it.
0: Oh, okay. I, I I get it, and I know that um, uh, you probably going to talk about this later, but the the fifth of the five books, there's some question there as to whether Rabelais himself wrote uh, it. Right?
1: Yeah, um, it's a lot shorter than the others, and it has uh, stylistic differences, and a lot of it. Um, it's generally agreed upon that Rabelais had you know fragments written, and somebody else went in and hastily. Sewed them together, right, and it, and it has and put in the, bridging the, bits,
0: right, and and the note I saw said also that they seem to have stolen a lot of bits from, uh, what was it the uh, a bunch of older Roman and Greek works and just kind of reworked.
1: them. Uh, again, right? yeah, it mentions Lucian's True History. I didn't right. notice that, but I might have. It might just be language things rather than events. But right, yeah. for those
0: of you who don't know, Philip is uh, adapting Lucian's True History into webcomic forum or has been doing that for a
1: while (laughs) um well i take you a long break because i'm busy with other things but yeah i have the first volume uh uh done Uh, it's also on comiXology so Mm -hmm. hopefully i'll get to finish that right but you know not that Lucian finished it but (laughs) right
0: that's right yeah you you're just keeping in and it sounds like rabelais never really finished his thing either that is that this is actually something I'm a little curious about with Rabelais, because he, um, he, he was writing around about the same time as uh, Miguel de Cervantes, Don Quixote, and I'm always heard de, de, uh, Don Quixote sort of listed as the, maybe not the first novel, but it's kind of the the the, the cornerstone of what became the what we would think of as a novel rather than. I guess before that it was, it, you know, it was just uh, fragments and, and um, random writings. and
1: uh, Or longer poems.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, you notice that with this story because it's just kind of like the, the quote, first book, Gargantua, which is actually the second book, I guess. Um, it just kind of stops at a certain point, right? He just keeps telling yeah. weird incidents and then he just comes to the ending and goes, and now let's talk about Pandagrawl, basically.
1: Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, actually, um, a uh, Czech writer named uh, Milan uh, Kundera um, uh, said that this, along with uh, Cervantes, was the that Rabelais, along with Cervantes, was
0: the founder of the entire art of the novel. Right. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The the and they're both very episodic stories, both uh, Don Quixote and this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And this has a lot of, uh, as you said, uh, asides and um, uh, just cul-de-sacs that don't go anywhere. <laughs> he will
0: stop and do an entire chapter on whatever he felt like talking about.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of lists. Right. Yeah, lists. <laughs> like a lot. He just uh, goes on with like synonyms for what he's talking about. It's weird.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, even as late as uh, Moby Dick uh there are chat there's the book is like that like Moby Dick has all these chapters where he goes off on like satology or whatever he feels like writing
1: about it yeah I think um I haven't read it but apparently Les Mis does that as well right with history
0: well and and I know that in the case of Dickens uh
1: that was sort
0: of a case of a being paid by the word and b you know, doing it in installments and putting out a a chapter every month for people to buy for a penny or whatever. Uh, I'm not sure if they had the same setup for a story like this. Um, No,
1: no, no. Um, Rabelais wrote this on his own um, uh, volition. Um, It was actually, uh, some of the later ones were actually banned, so he definitely wasn't... uh,
0: Banned by who, exactly?
1: um, The College of... uh, Sorbonne and the Roman Catholic Church uh, condemned his work. Hmm. Well, that... And, um, uh, let's see, um, he entered into the protection of the powerful, uh, Dubéli family, um, who petitioned King Francis I to allow him to continue publishing. Uh, then Francis died, uh, in 1547, and the sale of his, of the fourth book in this series was banned. um, yeah, he apparently uh was repeatedly condemned by authorities and threatened with uh heresy trials and things hmm. and uh only survived due to uh having wealthy benefactors. Huh,
0: interesting. I didn't I didn't know I mean, with France you always hear that they're a little more uh freewheeling. They're not as uptight about that kind of stuff, basically.
1: Uh well this was sixteenth century France and sure. Well, I mean the mere fact
0: that he's writing this stuff and it's uh you know it's it's entertaining people just to write about all this blasphemous and bawdy stuff right like it's yeah,
1: it's getting um but he was there was pushback of course, yeah no significant pushback
0: it. well, as you say i can I can believe the the Roman Catholic Church was uh not too happy about it obviously uh,
1: yeah, Rabelais was actually a friar at one point right um he uh was originally um a part of the franciscan order uh he uh left because uh there was controversy by uh other uh monks um he, they were sort of harassing him over the directions of his studies i'm not sure what that means but uh yeah, Rappel- really- was also from
0: I read one that said um, they didn't. He studied Latin and then he wanted to
1: study Greek, and apparently at the time, Uh, yeah, that that was part of it. Yeah, uh, that was his frustration. He wanted to study Greek, and they had uh, banned the study of Greek due to uh, Erasmus's commentary on the Greek version of the Gospel of Luke. (laughs) Very specific. I didn't look into that, but that's yeah, you know, one of those. Somebody had a problem with the doctrinal things, so the entire language is out of bounds. <laughs> oh, my
0: God. that's See, that's wild, because, you know, like in religious studies and, and any kind of uh, serious study, when you go to, like, the Victorian era, for instance, it was always considered, well, you had to know Latin and Greek. That was the foundation yeah. of a good education. Well,
1: this was just the uh, Franciscan order, uh, and that's why he left that, and he joined the Benedictine order. Okay, um, And then later, he left the monastery life altogether and entered into the study of medicine. Hmm. And uh, he wrote these books in his spare time as uh, pamphlets. So he was a uh, uh, sort of he was he was literally a
0: Renaissance man. Then basically.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this was during the Renaissance. Yes. Right. Um, the character of Gargantua actually wasn't original to these stories. Um, it's a folkloric thing. Um, haven't been able to find much information on it. It's apparently Celtic. Yeah. Uh but. The first literary appearance was in the anonymously published French story, uh, The Great Chronicles of the Great and Enormous Giant Gargantua, uh, usually attributed to Francois Giraud, uh, whose name appears in acrostics near the end. So it's probably him. Hmm. Um, uh, It was published just a a short while before Rabelais made his version. Um, I haven't been able to find a copy of this in English. There's a French version for sale, but... um, I don't speak French. Um, It's much different from this. uh, It's actually set in Arthurian times. uh, Like King Arthur's a character in it. Um, In the story, Merlin creates two giants using a spell involving whale bones, Lancelot's blood, and Guinevere's fingernail clippings. Uh, The giants immediately mated and conceived Gargantua, uh, who then grew up to uh, serve King Arthur for 200 years in battles against the giants. Gog and Magog, as well as armies from other countries using a 60-foot iron club, Uh, and he was eventually taken to fairyland by Morgan Le Fay. Right. Which does happen in this book, too, right? Yes. Yeah. And... Yeah, so some elements like that and uh, the names of Gargantua's parents, uh, which were Grangousier and Gargamel, Uh, not the Smurf character, um... spelled differently but yeah uh well, that's I'm not that's sure sig-
0: if the- that's significant because so- gargantua does sound somewhat celtic somewhat british whereas grangousier and gargamel and even Pantagruel all sound french
1: uh pentagoral is apparently also a, a mythological thing it's some sort of demon okay i'm not from- sure where it's from sorry okay Anyway, go, sorry, carry there's, on. There's not a lot of literary references to it. This is sort of the first time right. that got popularized. But I just, I um, just
0: etymologically, not that I'm an expert, but from what I can tell, Gargantua, that does sound like a, a Celtic name, as opposed to all the other names, which do sound French. <laughs> so it does uh, yeah. it does sound like that's, uh, I can buy that it was a Celtic uh, creation. And they love giants in... Uh, celtic folklore as well of course and,
1: yeah uh and for those uh gargantua doesn't inherently mean giant that's a word that was popularized because of its association with this right. and that previous story yeah, yeah. i figured as much so the idea of gargantuan uh meaning giant is from this rather than the other way around right
0: right yeah I, I figured as much yeah but that's how it caught on
1: rabelais sort of uh obviously read this book it's uh referenced at the in the intro to um um Pentagor, which is the first book um Pentagor is actually uh gargantua's son which uh rabelais made up like i said the name comes from elsewhere but he made up the character yeah well he has as a we whole, see it he has a whole
0: um like he has the lineage of gargantua where he talks about the whole the whole ancestry going all the way back to uh like the flood like goliath and yeah there's um
1: yeah the uh the uh what was the name of the giant in the flood well whatever it was um but in well, the this Nephilim uh, of the flood are the the characters of the ancient. oh yeah but i mean uh the specific one in this story that um manages to survive the flood by riding it like a horse <laughs> riding the ark like a horse <laughs> right right
0: but he does he puts he puts all these uh all these famous giants uh and monsters from folklore in like the lineage of gargantua basically like he's got yeah um, and
1: Go ahead. Including I think uh a one named Gerg magurg which is or something along those lines, which is a variation of Gog Magog, right. the uh, um legend of the founding of England. And I mentioned Gog and Magog are giants in the previous version of the story. Uh, right. they're of course not associated with Arthur, but it's sort of, you know. Yeah playing. Well, fast gog and Magog with history. are history. Yeah, they're they're biblical. Uh yeah, but uh. gog Gogmagog in the uh in the story is apparently the word is unrelated to that. It's it's um it's Celtic oh, like a, okay. a variation of a Celtic name huh
0: I know Polyphemus is listed as one of their um yeah their, uh, his ancestors uh who is the the Cyclops that uh, that Odysseus uh you know outwits anyway yeah but yeah he basically crams every mythological giant you could think of into Gargantua's ancestry um and pen's ancestry
1: um yeah that was a fun bit um <laughs> yeah. So uh, the first book is uh, Pentagorrel and his uh, his birth and uh, youth and adventures. Uh, the second book is a prequel, so mm-hmm. it's an early prequel, um, starring Gargantua, and sort of covers his youth and. Um, uh, and you only read the first two, right?
0: Right. Yeah. He's he he, he conquers. I yeah. I only read the first two. He conquers. Uh, no. What does he even conquer? He could. I don't remember them talking a lot about utopia in the Garga, in the book of Gargantua, uh. But maybe I'm uh
1: no, it's mostly in uh, Pentagor, uh that they talk about utopia. Uh, we should mention that they're from uh Utopia. Oh, I think I mentioned that at the beginning, but yeah, Thomas More's Utopia. Right. Uh, the capital city of Amaral is mentioned. That's from the original Utopia. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's basically unrelated. Right. Yeah, and Utopia read U-
0: for those. Go
1: ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, Utopia is a um a book Thomas More wrote. Uh, like I said, a few decades earlier than this. Uh, in the late 1400s. Um, it's um it, it uh, means no an place. An idealized. Yeah, yeah, it means uh, no place. Uh, Thomas More was an expert in in ancient languages, so he made a lot of puns in the place names and names of characters. Um. In Thomas More's uh, book, which I did read, it was um, uh, set in uh, South America, uh, a peninsula off the coast of Brazil, uh, and um, the Utopians in ancient times actually carved out uh, the land in one place to uh, separate themselves from the mainland. Um, In-universe, the, the Utopia is named after their first king, Utopus, but... Uh, Obviously, there's an actual Greek version. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, uh, though actually, um, I recall in the uh, in Thomas More's book, uh, they're apparently probably they're theorized to be descended from a Greek colony, so that would explain all the Greek names in it. <laughs> um, if you this book. Uh, sorry. If you need an explanation for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, this book, like I said, is only sort of ostensibly set there. Um, they have a very different society. Um, in Thomas More's book, uh, they don't have money. Uh, gold is worthless for to them, except as um, a weapon to use against any invaders. So they sort of sow discord among the ranks of their enemies, um, or pay off people, or that sort of thing. But to them, within their own country, it's worthless. Right. Um, in this, uh, everybody just sort of eats and drinks all the time and uh, yeah. dresses opulently and stuff. So. And of um,
0: course, utopia significantly means, you know, a perfect society to us, but at the same time, it also means a place that can never exist or that doesn't exist, right? Like it's, it's sort of yeah. both of those meanings at once, which are significant. So it's not just a fairy tale land. Of course, everyone uses the phrase utopia uh, in conversation, but that was the intention right from the beginning, I think, for both of those mm-hmm. two things.
1: Um, yeah, but it's sort of weird that, uh, Rabelais picked that as a setting, but there's a lot of weirdness in this, so. Well, it was, um, well, as you
0: say, it had just come out and it was kind of the popular, uh, go-to fantasy land, I guess, right? He was cashing in on Yeah.
1: It. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess there's a lot of cashing in. Though he does go in different directions, so he's not just ripping things off, he's just sort of right. taking names and things from other people. Shakespeare did the same thing, so. Exactly, yeah. Um... So the third book uh, takes a weird turn from the uh, first two. Uh, it's basically a philosophical dialogue, like Socratic sort of dialogue, but a parody of it. Um, uh, Pentagoril's roguish friend Panurge, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, he is—he uh, wants to get married, but he's afraid that he'll be cuckolded. And the word cuckold comes up so much in this book, I thought I was reading 4chan for a bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, they say cuck a lot. Anyway. Yeah, they probably um, don't even
0: remember what cuckold means. They just say cuck. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> anyway.
1: Fair enough. But th- this this book is very uh, concerned with, or right. at least Penurge is very concerned with it. So the whole book is him seeing various oracles and uh, seeking advice. And everybody tells him, all the oracles say, uh, you'll have a bad marriage you'll be cuckolded your wife will beat you and steal from you <laughs> um, and um, or they, they say that they, they say something you know that and everybody else interprets it that way and panurge interprets it positively so like there's some sort of uh, it, like a, there's a cryptic saying and everybody interprets it yeah. negatively but panurge interprets it positively and this happens over the course of the entire book. <laughs> just 300 pages of that. It's very repetitive. It's them traveling
0: um, from place to place and getting different information. No,
1: right? no, not even... That, that's uh, This sets off that, but no, they they just sort of go to various people. There's no travel, really, in this part. Oh, really? Uh, at the end, they decide that they're going to finally get an answer by going to the Oracle of the Bottle, Uh and um, the following two books, uh, the last two books, are about this voyage, which is sort of a Odyssey parody. Right. Um, or Odyssey, uh, the quest for the Golden Fleece. It's also got a lot in common with Lucian's true history and stuff, so... Mm-hmm. Um, it's that sort of uh, comedic going from island to island and weird things on each island, and then right. eventually they go to the Oracle of the Bottle at the end. Yeah, the one um, I read about was they had
0: some the legal the law cats try and try yeah to the furred law cats.
1: I don't know what that what they represented. They were just sort of yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't quite get it. It's probably something right culturally specific, but I couldn't figure out what they were supposed to mean. And they're and, sort of uh, giant monstrous cats.
0: Yeah, there well, uh, from what I understand, uh, Rebel, and they try to you know put this into English, but Rabelais was using a lot of wordplay in French, uh, which of yeah. course is very difficult to translate into English, and he makes up a lot of words. Uh, similar to Shakespeare uh, a a while later, um, because of course... Yeah,
1: because Rabelais, like we said, knew a lot of Latin and Greek, so he he made up a lot of words, some of which are still used in French, apparently. Right,
0: but it's also like you can tell, even now, that it was supposed to, even through a translation, even through the archaic storytelling, that it was meant to be a bit ridiculous. Like, um, it's it's essentially, from what I can tell, the same as on The Simpsons, where they go, he's in big and a stall with this cromulent performance. It's (laughs) basically the exact same thing. He just makes up these uh flowery ludicrous words that are sort of silly and entertaining in and of themselves but then they in some ways actually caught on right (laughs) and i think shakespeare Mm -hmm. did something similar although with shakespeare we actually do use a lot of the words he invented seriously so it stopped uh, being
1: you know Uh, well i think they do in france like in france exactly use a lot of his words right right yeah
0: just like like with shakespeare came up with uh what are some shakespearean words um What's an elbow from Shakespeare? Uh, yeah, there's there's tons like um, a lot of phrases. You know, uh, you know, neither a borrower nor a lender be. Or uh, yeah, yeah, like I just tons of words and phrases were invented by Shakespeare, and we don't even notice anymore because they're so common. And it sounds like Rabelais was the same. Yeah, in France, as you say. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, so um, I first encountered this story. Uh, I can't remember ex- the exact thing I was looking at, but it was sort of just looking at magical lands in fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, though it turns out this is used a lot in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but more as backstory than the actual thing showing up. Right. Um, the yeah. back matter to Volume 2 relates uh, the story about how Fr- Paris got its name, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, um, yeah League uh, no of impl- entire
0: giant appendix where he, he goes through all these uh, fantastical lands similar to this and then Gulliver's travels by, uh, Jonathan Swift and all that kind of story. Um, you know, where, where that were satirical, uh, voyages, mostly making fun of the Odyssey, I guess. Uh, but that were also satires on things.
1: And yeah, th- um, in the league universe, it seems, or it's implied that the incompetent rule of, uh, gargantuan pentagoral led to the downfall of the utopia. So hmm. that's fun. Um, Uh yeah, so the tone of this book, as we've mentioned, it's body. Uh, but I'm not sure that really um does it justice. It's it's filthy. It's Um, very crude. Yes. Um, as I said in the promo to this season, there's a chapter that's just a list of things Gargantua wipes his butt with. Yes. Like it's just a list. Does
0: tend to stick out because he literally talked about it and you and the thing is he uses archaic terms so you always kind of go oh maybe he's talking about something else no he's talking about wiping his butt
1: (laughs) yeah uh apparently the most pleasant thing to wipe your butt with is the neck of a live goose uh so keep that in mind during this toilet paper shortage oh god yeah uh we're uh we're recording this during the middle of the uh coronavirus thing uh hopefully towards the end but probably not um uh rabelais actually wrote this book um uh during a um europe had been plagued for 50 years with a syphilis uh, epidemic so i don't know it's sort of timely (laughs) i guess so
0: this is like everyone saying uh, shakespeare wrote king lear while he was in quarantine so (laughs) there you go rabelais wrote this while he was recovering actually a lot of well he
1: didn't i don't think he had syphilis he might have
0: (laughs) well generally speaking yeah he was too witty to be to be to have syphilis uh
1: decays your mental (laughs) Um, faculties Uh, back in those days it did anyway oh um but uh yeah so um uh this text uh resembles in a lot of ways uh tall tales from america like paul bunyan right um uh At one point, uh, like a lot of uh, explaining how natural um, formations occurred or how places got their names. Uh, Specifically, um, uh, at one point in uh, Gargantua, uh, he travels to France uh, to the city of La Cotia, which is the name given to Paris by ancient writers. Uh, Gargantua relieves himself, he pees, Uh, and his pee floods the entire city. Uh, drowning exactly 260,418 uh, 260, people. Um, and the citizens say, we are washed in sport, a sport truly to laugh at, or in French, Paris. Um, <laughs> Paris, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is uh, to laugh. So, yeah, that... Um, yeah, so that's that sort that's of... That's the origin.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then there's another pl- uh, one, I think it's in uh, Pantagruel. Uh, he he uh, he he gets sick and he gets uh, he he has dig, you know bad digestion. They feed him like diuretics and spicy things so that he pisses out the infection. But it's boiling hot and it creates uh, the hot some famous hot springs in Paris at one point. There's a lot of <laughs> urinating in this book. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, also, uh, oh, you'll probably have to cut this out. but I didn't know the word beef. Was a word?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it, it is. That's how they translate it, anyway. Um, yeah, um, this is what was seventeenth century. They translated this eighteenth century.
1: Yeah, seventeenth century. Right. Um. So, uh, there's also a uh, Bunyan story that I think probably draws directly on this. Um, in the Bunyan story, uh, there's a winter so cold that words freeze, and um. When uh this when the spring came they thawed and you could hear chatter for months from you know the winter. Um, this story, uh, Pentagorel book four, uh, they visit the um, sea of frozen words, uh, which uh, they can pull out, um, uh, uh, reach into the water and pull out ice that's uh, actually shaped like words, and when the words thaw the sounds come out. So it's um. Hmm. Um, similar thing. That's also a, a thing in later League of Extraordinary Gentlemen books, but they sort of Same. interpret the sea of frozen words as like glacier-sized words.
0: Even sounds a bit like a yellow submarine with the Beatles, some of that kind of things, the sea of, Yeah, not that specifically, but, you know, the sea of holes and things like uh, that. Yeah. It is it is interesting because um, my understanding is that Paul Bunyan was created He's not really an authentic old tall tale. Uh,
1: I like, think there's some controversy over that. There is some uh, storytelling basis prior. so Yeah, it's, it,
0: it, it's, it did sort of accumulate some tall tales of the Old West. Uh, Paul Bunyan, as we know him, was created by, uh, like, he was created in the 20th century, and it was kind of retconned into old tall tale, like, as if it was the old stories told by, you know, Bloggers and miners back in the old west i
1: think there's some controversy over that because that's definitely claimed in uh the new in the uh uh american gods books but i i've heard other opinions on that sure. so i'm not sure yeah no
0: I, I what i what i think it is is that um there there definitely was a a, a publisher that sort of uh formalized it in the 20th century but they reworked a lot of existing stories that were yeah, around. Yeah. Um, um, and apparently a plus, lot of
1: elements like um, uh, like the stories of him creating the Grand Canyon or whatever, apparently those were added later.
0: Right. And, and it's also worth noting that um, uh, in the versions of Paul Bunyan I read, they actually specifically mentioned that he was French or
1: French-Canadian originally. Uh, Paul Bunyan. Uh, uh, There's uh, an earlier version of Bunyan. Sorry, I wasn't expecting to talk this much about Bunyan. I did what? do some research on it a while back, but I don't have it written down here. There's a, there is a French-Canadian-like character, um, uh, Bunyan-like character, so right. uh, it might have derived from that somehow. Well, I'm just
0: saying that that, that draws a possible uh, link evolutionarily to Rabelais, if it was French, right? Yeah, possibly. Um, of course, you know, uh, it would have needed someone who was literate to bring sort of Rabelais stories. And maybe they kind of, maybe they, they sort of, uh, <laughs> they, they trickle down into the, uh, into the culture of, uh, cause I, there's certainly a lot of, uh, of, uh, French Canadian folklore. That's quite wild. That seems to have inspired a lot of the sort of wild west tall tale type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do wonder if, if there's a link there. But, of course, I think, uh, as I say, something like um, uh, uh, Gulliver's Travels probably was an influence as well and, and
1: yeah. lots of other stuff. Um, <clears throat> and speaking of similarities to other stories, uh, listeners might recall our episode of, about uh, the adventures of Little Baron Trump by Ingersoll Lockwood. Um, one of the lands that uh, the Little Baron visited was the Island of the Windeaters. Uh, where the lack of food caused the people to learn to subside on wind. Uh, have you heard of breatharians? Apparently, they they claim to live on air. Anyway, um, uh, anyway, uh, Pentagrel visited a similar place in Book Four, I believe, the island of Roche. Roche, I'm not sure. Uh, okay. Where people eat and drink wind. Uh, it says the rich have uh, windmills and the poor survive with feathers and fans. Um, and of course, Rabelais had to make it dirty somehow. So uh, they also eat a uh, herb—an herb that uh, induces farting. <laughs> yes,
0: he liked farting almost as much as he liked peeing. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, a lot of lot of drinking, lot of yeah. It's it is what it is. Isn't one of the stories
0: um, too is isn't uh, in the fourth book? Isn't doesn't he spend a long time talking about how they filled up on basically uh, the herbal equivalent of? Uh, of that's the third
1: book um <laughs> yes um there's a long uh uh a so- or a long couple chapters that just deal with um a plant uh called uh pentagri- i'm not sure how to pronounce it uh pentagrelion um but it's basically hemp uh it's apparently uh a parody of uh Pliny the elder's description of hemp uh hemp okay. um which included uh uh he believed there was a uh, variety that's fireproof, and um, uh, Rabelais sort of expands on that, and makes it even more ridiculous. <laughs> um, and there's uh, there's the implication that it's called that because uh, uh, Pentagrel invented a certain use for it, which is I think implied to be smoking it. So
0: oh, no, I thought, but I thought they they had it as like a, like I say the the, the equivalent of Viagra. <laughs> I thought that that was oh. how it was described. Again, I haven't actually read oh, it. Oh, maybe
1: that. I interpret it wrong, but yeah. Uh, somebody does smoke it in the fourth book, so. Right. Well, I mean, they just that
0: sounds like the kind of thing Rabelais would write from everything else that we've seen of him, basically. Um, uh, all
1: the yeah, many, um, many... yeah, the word uh, Rabelaisian is actually a word even in English. Uh describes earth uh, displaying earthy humor body, that sort of thing right it actually uh, appears in uh, the Simon if stories which we covered yeah,
0: I mean I've yeah, I've heard that as well, although I always you know whenever you hear an author's name uh, used as a as a verb uh, you know you, you always sort of uh, or as an adjective rather um you always sort of say, well, okay, so it must have various elaborate qualities from his work but apparently that just means if it's crude it's Rabelaisian
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, there's a few other phrases uh, that derive from this. Um, this one I had never heard, but it would actually be useful in certain circumstances. Uh, in French, it's called uh, Guerre um or Picrasholienne War in English, um, hmm. named after uh, King Picrashol from uh, right. from the Gargantua book. He's the king of Len, learn, uh, and uh, he starts a war over. What was it uh bakers having i can't yeah, remember I was, the exact details but it was I, about cakes
0: that's exactly i think that's actually the point is that it's almost impossible to figure out what the heck they're fighting over uh it's got some yeah. kind of uh some kind of uh conflict between shepherds and bakers uh and fighting yeah. over who gets to bake their bread or whatever and it just escalates yeah. into absolute nonsense um
1: uh, so this phrase is uh refers to wars started for absurd or hard to understand reasons.
0: Again, so, yeah. uh, Swift had something similar in Gulliver's Travels with the uh with the the Lilliputians and the uh Blenescuans. Blentathcoans uh Blenescuans. Yeah. They were the ones who uh and they were fighting over which side of a, an egg you were supposed to eat right like the wide egg.
1: yeah it said um because their scriptures said uh crack it on the appropriate side or something like that yeah exactly
0: and and that was a parody of in that case he was specifically parodying like catholics versus protestants and religious wars yeah. but it's the same kind of idea of just a a nonsensical war war how nonsensical
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh which the 19th yeah, century good
1: thing nobody starts wars for stupid reasons nowadays uh <laughs> yeah well, of course anyway York... uh
0: at that point there's a lot of a lot of uh fighting over you know doctrinal stuff and over minor cultural yeah. differences essentially so that was a big uh, emphasis nowadays we just fight over who's got oil but anyway <laughs>
1: um well that was always the excuse but it was probably for mostly to true. get new lands and yes that is um, true but uh speaking of alistair crowley who wrote the simon if stories uh Crowley, uh, derived a lot of the elements of his religion, Thelema, from, uh, these mm-hmm. books, um, in, uh, Gargantua, uh, Gargantua founds uh, uh, church called the, uh, Abbey of Telem, um, and, uh, it has the, uh, law, do what thou wilt, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's clearly, and that is explicitly what in, inspired Crowley, right? Like, he, yeah. he, he saw, he read this book and was inspired by it's kind of weird because the book introduces that idea and i kind of i have to say this was a hard read um it's between the archaic language and the plot doesn't really go anywhere (laughs) like the plot is not the point it's very much just here's a guy and he grows up and then he fights a war and the end like it's and and uh, the war is as absurd as possible Uh, and then gargantua ends with him founding the abbey of Thelema, as you say uh, and he, so he takes a chapter or two to describe it as, you know, the Abbey where, as you say, do as do as thou wilt. And it's it, it's clearly meant to be sort of blasphemous and shocking for the time. Probably one of the things that got him declared heretical because it's very much like he basically says everyone will go in and have a lot of sex. And <laughs>
1: like, uh, yeah, will... uh, priests and nuns live in the same.
0: Yeah. Like it, for once he actually tiptoes around it a bit, but he that's clearly the implication of what he's talking about there and that everyone would just you know would violate all the various religious orders different classes would all intermingle there wouldn't be any class differences what else is there any he he manages to to as you're saying uh, he manages to take all the religious uh uh doctrines for convents and reverse them like using wacky logic basically so you know, yeah. Uh,
1: there's there's a lot of that in the uh, various places he visits. There's uh, right. one I one place that's um, a uh, a monastery with a lot of fornication going on, um, and the monks uh, or the yeah the monks uh, reply with monosyllables to all the questions they're given. Um, and there's also another island that's um, all the birds sort of mimic the um, uh, church order. So there's uh, right. there's cardinal birds and. Uh, one pope bird that be, that comes from the cardinal birds um and uh, but sometimes there's two pope birds and that causes the whole island to break out in
0: fights <laughs> which was of course a thing in the middle ages there yeah. were a couple times when there were multiple popes uh fighting each other but yeah it's it, yeah you also have to assume that you know, he's saying oh he's making fun of the church with all the fornication but that may not have
1: been completely
0: uh <laughs> made up that might have actually been something that did happen from time to time
1: well he would know he was a friar <laughs>
0: exactly yeah right
1: and there's uh there's a, one of the main characters is uh friend uh, uh friar John mm-hmm. uh, who's um he drinks and fights and um really horny so right. yeah yeah Yes,
0: he's the yeah. You know, he gets a, a bunch of chapters devoted to. Him. Did, did did they say he was the same character who was Prester John, or am I getting that mixed up with someone else?
1: I didn't notice that, but no. it, they might have. There's a lot that goes by you, I think.
0: Yeah. No. As I say, yeah. So it's very heftily written. Like it's, and as I say, it's probably a lot of the stuff is being lost in translation. That uh, you know, it is. I. I,
1: um, I th- yeah, the part about um, uh, in Pentagora, when um gargant it says gargantua was kidnapped and taken to the land of the fairies uh our translation said by uh morgue uh so i didn't notice that it was Morgan le Fay. so it's hmm. a translation thing again
0: right and i mean that is a british legend which is interesting that they wouldn't you know
1: though the french adopted it uh the french introduced a lot of stuff to arthurian legends that's true
0: lancelot was french um and yeah. even Morga- Morgaine and Morgauss are kind of French, uh, Le Fay, that's a French name, right? Um,
1: well, there, there's also a lot of uh, French influence in the language in general, but yeah. Because right. the
0: Normans uh, invaded England and brought sort of French as kind of the, as the, the ruling. This was, of course, long after the supposed time of King Arthur's, but the, those stories are from you know, long long after the actual events of would have happened anyway. Uh, and it was kind of about the Normans, from what I understand, the Normans uh, uh, writing themselves as these chivalric, heroic, uh, fancy people. Uh, and they were the French-speaking groups who ruled England. Uh, so th- yeah, uh. as you say, there's a lot of back and forth between the French and the English at that time. But it is just interesting that Rabelais was clearly taking a lot of inspiration from British uh, storytelling as you say, gargantuan.
1: Yeah, he stuff. also uh, he's he's obviously a big classicist. I knew that even before reading about his biography, because um, he re- references Greek uh, legends and philosophers and uh, you know Roman history and stuff all the time, mm-hmm. like constantly. Right. Uh, the third book is basically everybody saying something, then justifying what they said with some anecdote from classical history. Yeah, that's we
0: should we should mention that. Even right from the beginning, uh, it it seems like it's a parody of pompous speakers at the time who like to cite a lot of references and a lot of like you're saying Rabelais is that, but I get the definite impression that this
1: was the, a thing that a lot of people. Oh yeah, did. yeah, that too. But uh, he he knew enough about the references to do that. So.
0: Right, and and the um, like. There's a one point where he starts uh, into Penurge and uh, a scholar get into basically a rap battle. Uh, and the scholar just keeps coming up with crazier and crazier words. Uh, actually, I <laughs> I wrote it down here. Hang on.
1: Uh, uh, can you read this? Because I'm oh, no. I can't read these words. Yeah, yeah,
0: no, that's fine. Um, uh, uh, Thou comest from Paris, then, said Pantagruel. and how do you spend your time, then, you my masters, the students of Paris? The scholar answered, we transferetrate the sequin at the dilical and crepuscule we deambulate by the compites and quadraves of the herb, we, U-R-B, we despumate the lati- lat- lat- latial verbosination, and like verisimilari lupinares, and in a Venarian ecstasy inculcator veretres to the pentissime recesses of the pudens of the amacabilisim (laughs) meretricules... So it's just like needless. Again, it's a in beginning it with their cromulent performance. Um, he's like, I, like, uh, we deambulate by the competes and quadraves of the herb just seems to me. We walk around the city as far as I can tell. <laughs> so they're just doing it as,
1: Oh, it reminds me of, uh, of, uh, frequent bits from yes minister where, um, right. Not the made up words, but that, um, uh, yep. Sir Humphrey would always just say things in the most complicated way possible. Like, uh, yeah uh one whom your present interlocutor is in the habit of referencing by means of the perpendicular pronoun right yeah, which means exactly him yeah
0: yeah it's it's that's or me but yeah that's been a thing in sort of classical comed- comedy for a long time and that is definitely what they're what he's doing there and he's making fun yeah. of scholars using fancy words a lot but even even um like the the intro to the to the first couple books both read as if he's sort of, as if he's giving a fancy lecture, but also as if he's drunk in a bar talking to everyone. They all read like that, yeah. <laughs> like, he literally addresses people as my fellow drinkers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, he's, um, he's make, that's, that's, anyway, it does make it a little bit slow going when you're reading it, unfortunately, for a modern audience. Um,
1: but. I didn't have much problem with it, but uh, in terms of readability, uh, though I probably missed a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, I didn't. Because I read all five, so I guess I got used to it after a while. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, um, you can, like,
0: it's, the thing is, because it's not about the plot, it's about all these weird little jokes and side, like, references and verbal dr- jokes that he's making. That is kind of the point of the story. So you can lose, all, you know, you feel like you're missing a lot of it by just reading it straight up that way. Yeah. One of the artist.
1: islands they go to is, um, uh, two uh, people at war, and they're both sausage people. Mm-hmm. And they're like human sausages, right? Um, and um. The war is stopped when one of their gods uh, flies over, and it's a pig named Carnival, a giant pig named Carnival with wings, mm-hmm. and it drops mustard on all of them. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know what that means. Well,
0: it, that's interesting because that one I almost like as know. A, like
1: if it's satirizing anything, or if it's just being ridiculous. Like Carnival actually, I you know
0: translate can be translated from French as uh, the the flesh that
1: the flying flesh. The flying oh okay meat. that um, yeah okay i missed that so yeah that makes a lot more sense
0: or if you like it can be tr- i mean the famous Candyman sequel farewell to the flesh that is actually a translation for carnival that's the more common uh explanation which is you know you say goodbye to the flesh because you're starting lent uh but it also like in the same way that flee flee this place can 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 be fly, fly this place, it's got the same kind of multiple meaning there. So you can, you can make it a pun as, you know, the flying, flying meat. <laughs> okay. So I think, yeah, that when, makes a lot more sense. Yeah. So there, so that's just, a, that's one example where I actually do see what he's doing with that,
1: <laughs> that joke, basically. Okay. Yeah. I don't speak French at all, so yeah, well, there's
0: um, I, I can guarantee you there's a ton of stuff like that throughout the books that is just going over my head, and uh, obviously all of our heads but and plus, of course, it's you know French of four four hundred years ago too, which is probably shifted and adapted in different ways, so it's not it doesn't land as hard
1: as it would otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: uh, yeah, yeah there there's um uh, the fifth book has a bit where they uh, it has a contradiction from the uh, fourth fourth book, I think. Um, cause both describes unicorns in a, in a different way. So, um, okay. the fifth book, uh, describes them as having, uh, their horns are floppy and get hard when they, uh, are going to fight, which obviously has phallic, uh, things, but, uh, Oh, you're this- right. It does.
0: I hadn't even thought of that.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think you can always anyway. go with
0: rabble <laughs> with the sexual and, and double entendre of everything in the book. If yeah.
1: Means. Um I, I the fourth book ends with Panurge uh poping his pants. So again. Um <laughs> great literature, folks. Yep, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the classics of, of literature in any language, one of the founding novels. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. 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 Um just like Don Quixote, of... just
0: like uh, Shakespeare.
1: <laughs> they all have
0: yeah. lots of raunchy st- nonsense in them
1: this is a little more obvious than i think shakespeare sure uh, yeah e- like even shakespeare it, which can be filthy um like it's not even the language issue because this is would have the same problem like this is just you know straight up you know people crapping themselves <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um so uh some more um uh influences that uh, rabelais had um in the uh, university of montepeller's Montpellier? Sorry, is that how you pronounce it?
0: Yeah, Montpellier,
1: yeah. Uh, in their faculty of medicine, uh, uh, graduating medics have to uh, undergo a coronation, or can't undergo a coronation without taking an oath under his robes. <laughs> under, under Pentagruel's robes? Uh, Rabelais' robes. Oh. From when he was there. What? <laughs> what, what so wait, what does that
0: mean? Like... You literally. have to stand
1: under the robes that, uh, uh, that Rabelais actually wore, uh, and take an oath. And you can't graduate <laughs> okay. without doing that.
0: Uh, so wait, he's standing on like a pillar and how does that work? I'm just, No, I'm no not... just the robe itself. Like you're supposed to stand under it. Cause I was going to say, if it's, if, if he had to literally stand there, then I can see how that would be filthy.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I was. <laughs> I was just saying That's what I thought he was you were influential saying. there because he was he was a doctor. Um, hey, baby, you want
0: to graduate? you got to crawl into this robe right here.
1: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, we're turning into him. Uh, let's yeah. see. There's also an asteroid named after him. Um, uh, in France, there's a, a phrase. Um, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but its it means uh, uh, in memory of a fr- famous trick when the waiter pr- presents the bill. It's apparently a reference to uh, Rabelais' uh, – habit of getting out of paying a tavern bill when he had no money
0: (laughs) and you can if you say that they'll let you leave without paying
1: no no it's just what what the waiter says when presenting the bill oh okay uh it apparently happens in france i don't know i've never been there (laughs) there Um, you go only in the classy places (laughs) uh so this is getting a little off the rails yeah
0: (laughs) well let's uh well, it's like a game of tennis, which Rabelais liked to compare his writings to a lot, because apparently it was very popular back then.
1: Uh, it was. So uh, I think our game. Carvaggio is... apparently uh, killed somebody over a tennis game. That's <laughs> been disputed, but apparently that's. Uh, yeah, Henry the that, That's tennis. a common story. Yeah, sorry.
0: So well, our game is over. So um, let's wrap it up. Uh, this is Adam Prosser who communicates by signs with his hands and philip rice who solved the riddle of the furred law cats anyway thanks to our producer uh, alex ross who tends to the abbey of theleme and jack fyrick whose theme song will be inscribing on a tablet and burying for a thousand years uh just wanted to remind everyone we both have patreons and subscribers can listen to the show a week early Uh, Just look under Philip Rice or Adam Prosser at patreon.com or go to Never Sleeps Network slash series slash what dash mad dash universe for all the links that we're talking about here. We're also on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, If you sign up for a Patreon, you get comics, illustrations, and other stuff, which just helps us afford the hosting and recording costs of the show. Um, You can also get this podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcaster of choice. And if you enjoy it, please leave a review. It would help us if you'd spread the word about What Mad Universe, tell people about it, Uh, link to us on social media, all that kind of stuff. Uh, It's greatly appreciated if you can do that. Uh, Now in God's name, depart, and may he go along with you.